This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. All right, so welcome to an episode of The Law School Show. My name is Ritumi Tank, and I will be your host today. As our guest, we're welcoming Miss Ira Schatzmiller, so I will give a little introduction before we begin. Ira is an alumni of University of Ottawa Law School. She studied both common and civil law. She has a Bachelor's of Arts from University of Toronto with specializations in French literature and geography. In addition, Mrs. Schatzmiller also has a master's degree in energy and infrastructure law from Osgood. Ira is currently head of legal and compliance for Bosch Home Appliances in Mississauga. In the past, she has worked as legal counsel with Thales Canada Transportation Solutions, Ontario Power Authority, and Office of the Privacy Commissioner Canada. She oversees regulatory matters and does contract drafting and negotiations. With that, I would like to thank her for being on the show. Well, hello, Rutumi. Thank you very much for that nice introduction, and hello to all your listeners out there. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself as a way of introduction. Sure. So as you mentioned, I did my undergrad at the University of Toronto, and then I went to law school at the University of Ottawa. I was in the French common law program, and I graduated in 1999. And then I did my civil law the next year. I did that at the University of Montreal. So I've got uh, both a a common law and a civil law degree. Uh, After that, I I wrote the Quebec Bar and I articled with the federal government, with a federal uh, tribunal that regulates the price of patented medicine in Canada. It's called the PMPRB. After that, I was called to the Ontario Bar. And after that, I went in-house. I went in-house with Pfizer Consumer Healthcare. And basically, I've been an in-house lawyer for most of my career. I've had a, a few stints in government that I'm certainly happy to talk about. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, right now, I'm head of legal and compliance at BSH, which is the home appliance division of Bosch. Amazing. I know that you had wanted to know a bit about things outside of law that I'm passionate about. So, you know, I'll say right off the bat, and I think um, this will resonate with a lot of your listeners, law tends to be a bit of an all-encompassing thing in your life. I think lawyers are an interesting bunch in that they're very, I find very creative people and very intelligent with a lot of interests. And once you start practicing law, you really have to find a way to carve out time for for those other things that you're interested in. So um, for me, I happen to be really passionate about uh, fitness and exercise, and I find it really key to sort of my overall well-being. Um, So when I'm not working, I think you can generally find me exercising. I like to run. I like to lift weights. That's Um, very cool. Yeah, I think that it's really important. And and, I mean, that's just me. You know, other people, I think, have, you know, strong interests in art or or culture and so on. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I do think it's important when you practice to not lose sight of the other things that make you who you are. Um, and in terms of, you know, any organizations that I am passionate about, I am very involved in the Women's Law Association of Ontario mm-hmm. and have been for several years. So I'm the secretary of the mentorship committee, and I do try to get involved and actively mentor female lawyers, um, you know, time permitting. 
And that's actually very commendable. So first of all, you mentioned that you're keeping up with fitness and that's a Mm -hmm. hobby of yours. Was that something that you sort of stuck through throughout law school and beyond? Or was that something you developed after? A a bit of both, actually. Um, I was always growing up, I was always uh, very much interested in sports and I always played on, on tons of teams and Tennis really stood out for me as a passion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in undergrad, I went to Trinity College and we had a tennis team there. So I played a bit on our college team. Um, I found when I got to law school, I was still interested in fitness, but it became much more just around um, working out, basically, um, mm-hmm. you know, getting a good sweat for for lack of a better word, um, mm-hmm. just to make sure that, you know, I was sort of functioning at peak capacity and I could think clearly and I just I could go on and on about the benefits that I think um, exercise brings to people, especially people who've got such busy careers as mm-hmm. as a law career is. Yeah, for sure. So I can definitely relate to that in terms of like having something to stick to when times get stressful and following yeah. through. Um, and you also mentioned your mentorship role. How has that gone? And what role do you play? Sure. So, um, yes, mentorship is definitely something I'm I'm passionate about. And I think, you know, you and I have discussed uh, in the past that um, law can be a bit of a maze. It's, it's a bit of a journey and you don't exactly know sort of what's waiting for you on the other side. There are all these, I mean, it's, it's quite an intense course of study and there are a lot of hurdles that, that you need to cross, you need to find articles and be called to the bar and then secure a position. And there, there's all kinds of questions that pop up along the way. And, you know, you and I have discussed it in the past. Should you go to a firm? If so, how long should you stay? What if you want to work in-house? When do you make that transition? And um, people have these questions not only at the beginning of their career, but I find all through their career. So personally, I think it's great that there are organizations such as women's law. But I mean, of course, there there are others. And especially in this interconnected world that we live in, you can find um, really any kind of legal organization that fits your needs, whether it's by practice area or, or you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's really important to exchange with people, both, you know, younger younger members in the profession, but also older people and more experienced people to ask to ask them, you know, how they've handled their career, what they would have done differently, what they think they did well. Um, you know, certainly it's I think it's very important to gain perspective from people who have been there, as it were. Yeah, for sure. And that's definitely something I found, too, in my conversations with other legal professionals and yourself is is just very valuable. I mean, you can, you know, read about something, but it's different when you're having, even if it's a five minute conversation, you learn just so much more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So next I'll ask you a question that everyone has been asked at one point in time or another. And my question is what motivated you to pursue law school and the law field in general? Mm Hmm. Interesting. Um, you know, that's a really good question. And I'm not sure I have a really good answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Um, I had done an undergrad in in primarily French literature. That was my big area of specialization. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I came to fourth year and then I was asking myself, okay, what comes next? And I knew that I wasn't interested in a career in academe. Um, my parents are, are both academics and I thought, well, I'd like to do something a bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I was kind of interested in contemporary matters and sort of real world issues. I've always had an interest in business. And when you start talking to people, you, you hear time and time again, 
law is a good degree and you can do anything with a law degree. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's entirely true, but I, I agree <laughs> it is a good degree to have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I applied to law school. I got in. And, um, you know, once I was in, the question about did I know what field of law I wanted to pursue, um, I think vaguely, and I think most people in law school, well, maybe not most, I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I found generally people had a clear idea if they wanted to be a litigator, if they wanted to argue before the courts, mm-hmm. or if they were more interested in a transactional practice, mm-hmm. or, you know, something completely different. A lot of people came to law school with completely different ideas about what they would end up doing with their law degree. Mm-hmm. Um, one person wanted to be a diplomat to join the foreign service. And it was very clear to them that, you know, maybe they would practice for a year or two, but not much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, others wanted to work in in government in a capacity where a law degree would be helpful, but where you're not per se practicing as a lawyer. So mm-hmm. um, I was I was kind of amazed. I found some people really came to law school with a very clear idea of, what they wanted to do. Um, you know, for example, some people had undergrad degrees in economics or commerce, and for them, it was clear, well, they were going to be a tax lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, or they had, you know, done engineering and they wanted to do IP. Um, for me, it was a bit vaguer. I just, I knew I didn't want to go to court, that that seemed like something that I just I wouldn't enjoy that much. Mm-hmm. So I knew it would be sort of more a solicitor's practice. But beyond that, I, I don't think I could have told you. Yeah, no, that's, I think what you said definitely still rings true today um, yeah. in terms of students at the school. It's, it's, there's definitely people that know what they want to do from the first day mm-hmm. and then others that don't. And it's, it's very yeah. interesting. So I guess my question to you would be, did you know that you didn't want to do litigation through some sort of practice or through what you had heard? So how did you come to that conclusion? Um, you know, it, uh, I can't really explain why I, I knew that litigation wasn't something I wanted to pursue, but I think it's more the people I found there are people who go to law school who just want to be litigators. And if they can't be litigating, they'll leave and they'll leave the law and they'll do something Mm -hmm. else. It's it's very sort of clear to them that this is what they want out of their legal career. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I never really felt that way about litigation. So um, for me, it was a fairly easy choice. And when it was time to select courses, I didn't need to take, you know, all the courses that people who were destined to litigate would end up taking, um, you know, just because I knew that wasn't something I wanted to pursue. That's interesting that you knew from day one what you wanted to do. So I gather it is about mainly following your instincts. Yes. Okay, perfect. So continuing on with the law school experience, did you find that you were prepared for practice after graduating? Or were there any skills that you wish had been emphasized in law school that would have better prepared you? So that's that's a good question. Um, you know, law school, I, I loved my time in law school. I have to say I was with a really good group of people and there was definitely this work hard, play hard sort of atmosphere there. And, mm-hmm. and I, I had a sort of a a tightly knit group of friends. So I have fond memories of law school. Having said this, you know, I I don't need to tell your listeners that it's an intense experience. It's (laughs) extremely competitive. And um, in terms of what it gives you towards real life practice, I would say it probably gives you half of what you need. So of course, you need to know the law and you need to know, um, you know, how to do legal research and and you need the, the basics, the content of the law, the substance. Mm-hmm. But in terms of if you want to practice, 
you know, that really all happens in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think that's just the nature of law school. And they're not really equipped to prepare people for, you know, the day-to-day running of, of a law practice. Mm-hmm. You get a, a bit more of that in bar admissions, but really there's there's nothing like hands-on experience in a law firm or, um, you know, a corporate law department. Yeah, for sure. So law school helps build a strong foundational knowledge base, but in terms of the practical aspects of maybe like the work environment or, you know, how to manage and juggle tasks, Mm -hmm. um, practical experience would be more relevant or helpful? Absolutely. Because, um, you know, there's one thing is knowing the law, but the next thing is applying the law to meet your client's goals. And I Mm -hmm. find these are really very different tasks. That's very interesting. My next question is about your career. Sure. You said that you mostly worked in-house. Did you imagine yourself and did you know that that was something that you always wanted to do? Or, for example, that you always wanted to work with the government? Mm -hmm. Um, So good question. I I had articles with the federal government and Mm -hmm. I find um, my approach to laws, you know, as we mentioned, it's very intense. It's very competitive. And I find really to be sort of easy on yourself and to take it day by day. So that's the way I looked at things. My my first ambition was, okay, I'll get called to the bar and then I'll I'll see what's around. So because I had articles in a domain that was close to healthcare and medicines, I, I was called to the bar and then an opportunity came up with Pfizer Consumer Healthcare, which built on the experience that I had had articling. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, this could be, you know, a way to use these skills that I've acquired. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, I was always interested in the business world. I knew that I wanted to be a business lawyer. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was sort of natural to to make that transition. And, I, you know, I have to say, I, um, I do like working in-house. I think it has a lot to commend itself. You know, it's when we talk about in-house, I mean, that could mean a, a whole variety of environments and situations. There are some in-house legal departments that are huge and people are very specialized in what they do. You know, one person might just be doing real estate. One person might be doing employment law. There are other legal departments, such as, you know, the one I work in now that are very small and you actually have to do a bit of everything. Right. So that sort of environment, um, because I did end up having different experiences. And as, as you mentioned, I did one stint. I filled in a maternity leave replacement with the Office of the Privacy Commissioner, which gave me some background in privacy law, which mm-hmm. then you know, when I went in house, I ended up having a lot of privacy work to do. So so I find if you are going in-house, if, if you mm-hmm. think that this might be a good environment for you, it's not a bad idea to get as broad and as wide-reaching a set of experiences as as you can. I can see how that would definitely be helpful. You did both the Quebec Bar and the Ontario Bar. Mm-hmm. So did you find that was particularly helpful as well? Yes, for me it was. I had grown up speaking French and um, I find if you want to work in-house, there are a lot of companies that do business nationally and that find that sort of double, not only speaking French, but having, you know, both a civil and a common law degree. And in, in my case, being called to the bar, both in Quebec and Ontario, mm-hmm. to be that as quite a valuable advantage, I would say. So for me, it did turn out to be a, a very worthwhile investment. Thank you. That's very interesting. 
And I guess I will also ask you about your master's degree. So you got it in energy and infrastructure law at Osgood. So can you tell us a little bit about that decision and how that has also helped you? Yes, absolutely. Um, So I had developed um, an interest in construction law and infrastructure projects. And before um, my current position, I had worked a bit with a French multinational that did infrastructure projects around the world, actually. Um, So while I was working there, at the same time, I, I took advantage of a part-time professional master's degree that Osgood Hall offers. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be um, extremely useful for the kind of work that I was doing. And I think if, if I could say something to your listeners, it's mm-hmm. that um, you've, got, you've got a long career ahead of you. And I'm definitely someone who believes in lifelong learning. I think it's really important to always keep developing yourself, to keep learning new skills and sort of expanding your horizons. So if circumstances are such that you can, um, you, you can take more education. And of course it's, you know, there are times in your life where it's just not going to be possible. You're just, you're working too hard or you've got a young family and you just can't afford the time away from them. Um, or, you know, there's, there's a certain cost to it as well. And, and, it isn't the right time for you to make that investment. You know, all those are valid reasons, but I would encourage people to take a very long view of their career and to always keep investing in themselves. Mm-hmm. That's definitely very insightful. So in line with that, my question is, how do you stay up to date on key developments, you know, in, in line with being a lifelong learner? Yeah, so that's a good question. And certainly when you're in-house and you're responsible for a whole bunch of different practice areas, that's very important. So what I do is the law firms in Toronto, and Toronto, of course, has a huge uh, legal community, issue alerts, basically, on legal developments. So what I do is I I sign up for alerts in the practice areas that I know I'm going to be responsible for like employment law or competition law or, um, you know, general commercial law. Mm-hmm. And so I'll start my day actually by just sort of scanning the alerts and seeing is, is there anything that has changed? So for example, I'm now in, in this COVID time, I have to follow very carefully what provincial legislative measures are being implemented across the country because we do business across the country. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, we live in this interconnected world. So there's tons of online materials and groups that you can subscribe to to keep you up to date. Mm-hmm. There's the, the Canadian Bar Association, which is an excellent resource, and mm-hmm. the Ontario Bar Association. There are a lot of ways to make sure that you're not missing any important news. Thank you for pointing those uh, resources out. And so um, let's move on to sort of talking about your current role as head of legal and compliance. So mm-hmm. I'll start with what practice areas are engaged primarily in your line of work? Sure. So um, primarily I deal with commercial contracts, uh, largely in the form of dealer agreements. So, mm-hmm. so Bosch has dealers that are licensed to, to sell Bosch products to consumers. So there's mm-hmm. all kinds of commercial issues that arise, competition law issues, basic contract interpretation questions, bankruptcy law, for example. Um, so so that, I, I would say, is a fair part of what I do. And then um, because I'm the department head, there's also a certain amount of corporate law around resolutions and board of director meetings and um, sort of the governance obligations that, that the corporation needs to meet. So I'm responsible for those. 
Mm-hmm. And otherwise, there's a fair amount of employment law considerations, as particularly in this time of COVID. So, you know, I might need to counsel a manager on um, on certain employment law situations, uh, you know, concerning his team or a particular mm-hmm. employee. Um, but really, I, I think one of the best things about working in-house where you're sort of a corporate generalist, which is what I'm doing now, is that you've got a very, very broad range of matters that you're going to be called into. And it, and it does kind of keep you on your toes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's very interesting. And I, you know, for somebody who likes a variety of different fields, I can definitely see that as something that would appeal to them. And you also mentioned that you had two jobs where one is just focusing like on the legal aspects and the other one is Mm -hmm. sort of, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's managerial um, where you manage. So I guess my question would be, what is the breakdown of that? Or is there even a breakdown or does it just depend? That's a good question. I, I would say it depends. Um, and this is sort of, I think once you've been in house for a bit, you mm-hmm. will be eventually called upon to take a more managerial role. So mm-hmm. I would say that I, I've certainly got like the day to day legal tasks as, as you and I would understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the, the, the other big part of my job is being the head of compliance. So making sure that, that there, there aren't any compliance infractions that are happening. So it's, you know, making sure employees do their web-based training. It's mm-hmm. um, providing training seminars on compliance matters like data protection or competition law or, or business conduct. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's you know, uh, monitoring involvement with our industry trade association. And then I would say to, to the part that you mentioned, there's this whole sort of leadership managerial part. So so I'm part of the leadership team for Region North America, DSH, and that's participation in larger organizational issues, like, for example, issues around organizational culture or inclusion mm-hmm. and diversity or, you know, the pension plan committee, mm-hmm. which I'm a member of, or, you know, making sure that we're encouraging cross-functional teams to attack certain business issues. So, so there's a management part of that. And then I should say that the particularity of my job is that so I'm head of legal and compliance for BSH Canada, but BSH itself is a, a German company based out of Munich. So I'm also part of a worldwide collection of entities. So I'm also making sure that Canada is staying up to date with all the corporate initiatives that headquarters in Munich would like to roll out around the globe. Mm-hmm. So um, I think definitely for, for people who enjoy that kind of responsibility, and I certainly do, working in-house can really provide you with a very, very wide um, range of, of tasks to that, that you need to be responsible over. Yeah, for sure. That's As you were talking, I was just thinking that's so many different hats to wear. It's a lot of hats to wear. Right? Yeah, that's that's very intense. Did you find that you sort of worked your way up to it and sort of in line with that? You know, how do you find the confidence to yeah. be able to handle all of that? Because yeah. I've heard from talking to other folks, too, that it's very hard to get feedback um, in yeah. the field. So, you know, is there is do you have to play a more active role in sort of getting that feedback? And so how do you stay on top of it all? Good question. So there, there's actually two parts to your question. Um, did my did I work my way up? Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, I think to be the person in charge of an entire department, you need a certain number of years of experience under your belt. Now, did I work up the, the way at BSH? No, because I'm actually the first lawyer they've ever had there. So it was a new role for them and for me. 
Mm-hmm. But certainly you do need you do need a fair bit of exposure before you're going to take a task like that on. Now, having said this, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that there's certain pieces of work that I will farm out to external law firms mm-hmm. or if I need a quick piece of advice from a specialist on on a matter then I'm um, certainly I'll I'll go to the specialist. Um, but there are sort of day-to-day legal tasks like drafting and negotiating contracts that, that you, you do do on your own. Now, in terms of feedback, so that's an interesting question. Feedback is a gift, even though it doesn't always feel like that, but definitely <laughs> it is. And if you're in an organization where feedback is delivered constructively, mm-hmm. then it can be a great way to learn. And certainly th- there are people that, you know, I, I will go to feedback. I will ask for feedback after I present something or after I'm in a meeting mm-hmm. and just sort of ask them, how was that? Was I clear? Did I get my points across? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it is really one of the biggest gifts you can get. Um, is it hard to obtain? It can be because People, if you know, if they ever had something negative to say, no one likes to, to say negative things. Yeah, but very valuable. So I, I guess it's it's very like it's knowing who would give you the right feedback. Yes. It doesn't have to be positive, but just somebody who will give you constructive feedback. Correct. Right. Exactly. Amazing. Okay. Thanks. My next question is, what part of your job do you enjoy the most? Sure. So um, the particularity of working in-house is that you've got one client. So you become very, very immersed in your client's business. And that's quite interesting because Mm -hmm. you really need to sort of understand what it is that makes this business run and where the challenges are. And, you know, I feel like I learn something new every day about this business, which is great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you can drive a lot of satisfaction from helping your client meet its business goals. I find in a sense, um, once you're in-house, you do have a bit of, I don't know what, exactly what the word is, I won't say a halo around you, but um, you are sort of seen as as the keeper of some very specialized knowledge. So you get a certain <laughs> amount of, of deference in-house, mm-hmm. which, you know, is nice. And I think one of the best compliments someone has ever paid me is that, you know, I don't do anything without my lawyer. I always have her there and I consult with her on everything, mm-hmm. which is very gratifying to know that you're that important to the business or to, mm-hmm. you know, one part of the business. Mm-hmm. That's actually a great compliment. So, uh, you know, you mentioned that you have one client. So, do you um, see things through like from beginning to finish? Uh, yes, I do. So seeing things from beginning, sometimes I wish I saw a little more of the beginning because I find there's a tendency for some parts of any business to only bring in legal when really, you know, they're at a, a loggerheads with a partner and they don't know what mm-hmm. to do anymore. And so you think, hmm, if you had brought me in earlier, maybe we could have avoided getting to this stage. Um, but certainly, yes, that's also one of the more gratifying things that you do see an issue from beginning to end. I mean, you know, external counsel may provide advice Mm -hmm. for your needs, but then they kind of, they they leave it at that and they don't know what happens after that or if the advice was accepted or if it was successful. So uh, I'll I'll agree that that is one of the more gratifying aspects of being in the house. Yeah, that, that sounds very interesting. And to sort of balance that, what is the difficult part of your job? Hmm. So I would say the difficult part of my job is I've got a lot of different issues 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a certain volume of them. So I think what's really important, and this is important for every lawyer, it's not just for in-house lawyers, mm-hmm. is to keep prioritizing and reprioritizing issues as they arise. To know, okay, this is really important and needs to be done right away. This task can wait a bit longer. Mm-hmm. And also, I think it's important to keep your clients up to date because, you know, every client, and here I'm talking about the different divisions within a company, you know, they think their business is or they, their problem is, you know, the most important problem facing the company. And they, you know, they expect things to be done immediately. And of course, being in-house counsel, you're a limited resource. So mm-hmm. it's very important to be gauging, you know, with, with your knowledge of the business, knowing what is really important and what isn't. And um, and you're kind of constantly doing that in your mind. Yeah, and I can imagine that sometimes it's sort of hard to do and, you know, hard to draw those lines. It is. And that's where you really have to have very good communication skills. Right. And, um, you know, you might need to talk to your manager. So, for example, I report into the CFO mm-hmm. and just to sort of say, OK, I've got this and this and this that are all sort of competing workload. What is most important for the organization right now? And you can get, you know, some some guidance that way. So it's really interesting that you mentioned getting that guidance because sometimes it might be easy to forget that you can ask for guidance, especially when you are in such a leadership role. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's also a big comfort to the employer, like your manager or supervisor, to know that you're engaged and mm-hmm. you're aware that things need to be prioritized and you're actively seeking out, you know, information, what is the most important out of all these tasks. For sure. So I'm getting a lot of like focus on collaboration and communication. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so not just that. So, you know, you're, you're getting sort of critical information from your manager, mm-hmm. but it's really important, as I mentioned, to also keep your other clients, the, the people who are depending on you up to date. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it means saying, you know what, this urgent matter has just popped up. I absolutely need to attend to it. So I'm going to need another day to get to this matter. And I think, you know, in-house people, I mean, people see how hard you work. So they're, they're generally understanding. I think the really important thing, though, is to communicate and to let them know what's going on. In terms of the work environment, you said that you are in a leadership role and do a lot of legal work. So do you work in a team? How, how does that work? And I appreciate that this might be very different based on, you know, where you're working. So just in terms of your experience, how have you found the work environment to be like? So I think one of the big draws of working in-house is that, and of course, you know, it it depends again on on the industry that you're in in in-house and the particular organization. But as a whole, I think it's safe to say that the environment can be a little more relaxed. You know, you, you can be in a company where it's certainly not the norm to wear a suit every day or, you know, very, very rarely. Even. <laughs> um, so, so for people who like a more relaxed environment, um, certainly have to consider. Now, in terms of, you know, interacting with all these different stakeholders, I think it's, it's really a question of understanding the communication style and the expectations of different stakeholders. So mm-hmm. some people, you know, you can interact with very informally, other people and in other parts of the organization, meetings happen in a very regimented sort of fashion, and you're supposed to come with certain pieces of data ready at, at the meeting. So uh, it, it really depends on, on who you're interacting with. So I guess, how do you find that out? Is it just through communicating with them and like knowing and just interacting? So good question. I think it's a question of trial and error, but also, and, <laughs> yeah. and this is a, a sort of a great way to show that you are alert, is to simply ask them. 
to say, for example, um, when we meet, I can prepare a PowerPoint of the issues I'd like to discuss. Mm-hmm. Would that be useful to you? And some people are like, yes, great. Others will say, no, don't, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't go to the trouble. But it's really important to, to meet expectations and to find out what one part of the business or what one client is expecting of you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important, especially as a young lawyer, that you convey, you know, the understanding that you're engaged, that you know what the expectations are, that you know what the deadlines are, that you kind of behave almost as an owner, that your your client's business is your business and you're committed to making sure that deadlines are met and goals are achieved. That's great advice. Thank you. You're welcome. So this definitely just works with what we were talking about. What skills do you look for for somebody in your position? And like, do you have any advice for people that are looking to get an in-house position? Sure. So um, younger applicants, like, you know, someone who's looking for articling or who's mm-hmm. maybe just finished articling and looking for their first in-house role, you know, of, of course, expectations aren't going to be that, that, that you know more than would be expected of you after a year of practice. Mm-hmm. I think the things that I would look for when I'm interviewing a younger candidate are certainly a willingness to learn, an alertness, maybe some background knowledge, and, and this can be picked up about what, for example, the company that I work for does, mm-hmm. what skills would be useful. And, I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily looking for someone who, you know, has this experience already under their belt, but someone who knows, okay, so in this kind of business, some knowledge of competition law would be, I think would be useful or, you know, marketing or advertising law. And I know how to do the following, or I am part of the competition law bar, and I'm up to date on all the developments and and here's Mm -hmm. one. And sort of, you know, giving the idea that you are interested in the work that's being done, that you are keeping yourself up to date, and that you can add value, even if you don't have tons of experience, more sort of a willingness to learn and an understanding of the skills that you you would need to provide value. The work is probably high stakes. So I can see why that would be something that you would look for. Yes. Okay, so I mean, this is very topical in terms of what's happening right now. And what I presume is going to continue to happen in a couple of months. But how has COVID-19 affected your work? Right. So the office where I am, basically most functions have been working from home without any break since since COVID really erupted. I personally enjoy working from home. I find I, I save a lot of time commuting and other things. I guess the, the one drawback is that you really need to sort of separate the end of your workday from the rest of your life. And that can be a little difficult when you're working from home and the computer's right there and there's this big temptation to just get online and maybe answer a few more emails. And I, I think it's really important to not lose sight of the bigger picture and not miss out on sleep or on exercise or on, you know, socializing to the extent possible. Um, because of your legal career, I think balance is really important. Mm -hmm. And generally, I find the people that are drawn to law tend to be um, high performers, fairly intense people. And I think for them, the the COVID-19 situation presents a particular danger of of really falling off balance and Mm -hmm. letting the job sort of consume and subsume your life. That's helpful. And and I can definitely see that some of our listeners will definitely be able to relate. 
So, I mean, I have I have a question for you. Do you think being a woman in this profession comes with its unique set of challenges? And what has your experience been? Just as, as a short answer, yes. I certainly yeah. do believe that um, being a woman does present certain challenges in law. You know, law still to this day can be a bit of a conservative profession. I think there's some areas of law where, which are still very heavily tilted uh, towards men. And mm-hmm. certainly it can, it can be an issue. And I mean, these are things that, you know, dawn on you as you progress in your career that maybe the, le- the playing field isn't always as, as level as you would like it, particularly when it's issues of family and sort of being spending enough time with your family come into play. So, you know, that's, that, I think that's just one out of many gender related issues that certainly people encounter in law. Mm-hmm. I think things are changing though. For example, at my corporation, the CEO in Munich at, at the corporate headquarters is now a woman, for example. So, mm-hmm. and I think when I was starting off in law, you know, 20 years ago, that would have been really unheard of, like an, a strange <laughs> anomaly. And yet here we are today. And I, I don't think she's alone. I, I feel like more and more the corporate world is more accepting of the idea of women in positions of leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a very good thing for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, certainly the, the one thing I can say about being a woman in law is to know that there are resources and organizations out there. And I'm thinking primarily of, of Women's Law Association of Ontario, mm-hmm. where yeah. you can speak with other women lawyers about, you know, gender related issues that they've had in the workplace and how they've overcome these issues. For sure. And I'm really glad that you talked about this. Yeah. My last question is that in law school from day one, we're taught that you always have to have some sort of moral principle to bring you back, to always anchor you. And so my question is, what is your ethical guiding principle that keeps you anchored? Absolutely. Um, I I firmly believe that this is a really important quality to have in the workplace, to be an ethical person. And my personal rule is the golden rule. I mean, I, I certainly don't treat anyone in a way that I wouldn't want to be treated myself. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, I've seen, I've been in lots of different situations in law and lots of different, very tense situations where I think people can forget that they're so focused on getting the deal done or, um, you know, winning at litigation that they tend to forget that at the end of the day, we're all human beings and no one likes to be um, harshly treated or, or poorly spoken to. And I like to think actually that in-house is a bit better than private practice for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in-house, you've got a bit more ability to, to plan your work day and to avoid sort of last minute surprises or any tense situations that have you, you know, sort of burning the midnight oil. And I think mm-hmm. as a result, you end up with a much more congenial work environment. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that as well. And those are all my questions for you today. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really do appreciate the insights that you've shared. And I'm sure our listeners do as well. I find personally, it's really reassuring to, you know, hear from somebody who has gone through similar things, and you made it out the other side. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It was my pleasure. You've just been listening to The Law School Show.
can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and now on Spotify, or on our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter for the latest updates. Human stories, new legal topics, and career-advancing advice right to your earbuds. Catch it all here, next time, on The Law School Show.